0: The scripture reading is Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Let me give you a little bit of context. Prior to Jesus being tested in the wilderness, Jesus is baptized. And when he is baptized and comes up out of the water, he hears God's word declared over his life. The words that would define and shape his existence, his life, his ministry. He's baptized, he comes up out of the water and God says, you are my beloved son and I love you and I am pleased with you. If you want to understand the resilience, the inner strength, the passion, the drive, the ability to resist temptation the ability to leave his mark on the world his ability to go to the cross and die for you and for the sins of the world and demonstrate his love for you it's all founded in his self-understanding and his identity as a beloved child of God if you search deeply enough the hearts of men and women that you know in your own life. You will find that at your heart, what leads us into pain and suffering, self-hurt, often comes because of our failure to understand how God sees us and perceives us. We become workaholics. We overeat. We sleep with strangers. We wound ourselves and we wound others and we live in hurt because at the core of our being is a misunderstanding about who we are. That I am deficient. I am defective. I am broken. I am in some way flawed. And that is true. But at the heart of Scripture, at the heart of the Bible... Those same words that Jesus hears are the same words that God wants to declare on you and your life. That's why the church is so important. That's why when children are dedicated in our church, we affirm them as God's gift. That's why when children and youth and adults are baptized in our church, they hear these words, you are the beloved. It's God's claim, God's declaration on your life. It's why every person that walks in this building, I want you to hear God declare this about you, about your life and your future, that you are the beloved of God and that God favors you. And in the scripture we hear today, in the scripture where Jesus is driven into the wilderness, he has to wrestle with that identity. Twice in the story, the devil says to him, If you are the Son of God. Look at Jesus, look at what's happening to you. You're suffering, you're hungry. If God loved you, why would he send you here in the desert? And Jesus knows that if the devil can get him to forget who he is, he has him in the palm of his hand. And it's the same with you. It's the same with you. If you build your life in your self-understanding, your idea of who you are based on what the world defines as good and perfect and beautiful, the devil has you in the palm of his hand. He'll overwork you and he will destroy you, he will hurt you and wound you, and will even use the Bible as a weapon to shame you and to make you be afraid. I will point out to you in this story that the devil himself uses scripture to tempt Jesus. Not everyone who holds a Bible always uses it to bless. Sometimes it's used to curse. And the Bible is not a weapon. It's a gift. So you look at the story and you see what happens here. It's, It's powerful. Because just as soon as Jesus hears, I am the beloved, what happens? It says the Spirit drove him in to the wilderness. Listen to what the story says. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil, to be tested by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Hey, Jesus, look, let me tell you. Hey, I wouldn't treat you this way. If you were my son, we'd be going to Ruth Chris after your baptism. If you were my son, we'd be going to BW3s and putting down some wings. Not not send you out in the desert. Come on, come on, use your power to feed yourself. If. Well, Jesus answered, it is written, man should not live on bread alone. It means man should not live on the opinion of others. Man should not live by what, how the world defines him or her. Human beings should not live by what others say of us, but that our lives should be built on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And when he says that, he's remembering those words, you are my beloved. Whenever you have self-doubt, I would just say, remember your baptism. Remember the words proclaimed over you. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. On Jesus understanding where the path would lead him to Jerusalem. He would go to Jerusalem. He would not be rescued. He would die a death on a cross for the sins of the world. Questioning if you're God's son, if you're my son, you wouldn't have to suffer. Doesn't the presence of suffering in your life, Jesus, mean the absence of God? Is God good? Oh, if, if you, if, you must not really be who you say you are. You must not be the beloved. You must be the cursed. And Jesus answered, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And let me point out to you, if you don't read the scripture, you can become a victim of scripture. Then the story goes on. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I'll give you. He said, If you will bow down and worship me, you won't have to wear a crown of thorns. Jesus, Jesus, I'll give you a gold crown. You won't have to be on a cross as your throne, but you'll be able to have a bejeweled, emerald throne. And I'll give you a place in Caesar's palace. That sounded pretty good, didn't it? Caesar's palace. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan. It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Now, let me me make a couple of very brief points here about this story. Uh, First of all, I want you to understand that the outcome of the story was not predetermined. We look at the story and we see what Jesus went through, and we think, yeah, well, he's a son of God. Of course he could resist the temptation that he was facing. I mean, I mean, come on, if you're God's son, how hard could that be, right? But I want you to understand that the story did not have a predetermined outcome. Jesus was a human being like you and me. He was fully divine. He was a son of God. He was a human being. He hungered. He didn't want to suffer. He felt loneliness. He felt fear. And when you understand that he could have chosen to give in to the temptation, it makes the story more powerful. The idea that he didn't. Why is that important? Because he could have chosen the other way, chosen the way to serve himself, chosen to use God's love, chosen to use his powers to bless himself rather than to bless others. But instead, he chose, he chose the path that God had in mind for him. You see, there's no place, no desert you can go that he's not already been. There is no temptation that he's overcame that you will ever experience. There's no loneliness that you've experienced that Jesus hasn't experienced or fear himself. But he chose, he chose that path. And why? Because he understood who he was. His self-understanding did not come from the opinions of other people, but was rooted in the firm conviction of how God saw him and understood him to be. And you know, after this, these temptations in the wilderness for Jesus, these were just a prelude of greater temptations to come. Oh, Uh, they got worse, stronger, harder, more difficult. Let me give you an example. So Jesus, he's out in the wilderness and they've been chased by crowds. People are following them everywhere. Uh, they're, they're beat up. They're tired. They're on a hillside. And suddenly 5,000 people show up. And they, none of them had packed their lunch for supper or dinner. Jesus looks out at them. And the disciples say, hey, Jesus, send them away. Let's, let's feed ourselves. And he could have made bread for himself. Could have given into the temptation. The funny, the temptation comes from his disciples this time. Feed yourself. Instead, what does he do? He feeds 5,000. Another moment, another great moment. Jesus had gone up to the northern part of Israel. He's in Caesarea Philippi, standing uh, uh, before a temple pagan worship center. And he asked the disciples, who do people think I am? Who do you say I am? And, he, and, and Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then what does Jesus say? He says, well, you know what that means? It means I'm going to suffer and die at the hands of angry people people and if you want to follow me you'll take up your cross too peter echoing the voice of the one in the story we just heard says no no it's not going to be like that you don't have to suffer remember what jesus says to him get behind me who same story then later on, the moment, the crucible moment, Jesus is down on his knees. He is praying so fiercely in the garden and the, 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 the tears coming down his face are tears of blood and sorrow. Oh God, let this cup pass from me. And then he can hear off in the distance. He can see coming down through the Kidron Valley and up the side of the hill where he's there in the Garden of Gethsemane. He can see the torches coming. He can hear the clanking of armor. And when they arrive, one of his disciples takes out a sword and chops off his one of the soldier's servant's ears. He could have fought. Come on, Jesus, fight. We'll take it. We'll take it. Miss Teddy resisted. And then the final moment, he's hanging on the cross. Jesus, if you're the Son of God, why not take yourself down from this cross? Why should you have to suffer? But instead, he looks out and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Where did he have the strength and the courage to be himself? It came from that voice. You are my beloved. If you can hear that voice in a thin place, in a desert place, you can hear it anywhere. You see, a thin place is a moment in life where in the distance between God and heaven becomes very, very real. And deserts in the Bible are thin places. Let me share with you a couple of mine. I was 17 years old. It was between my junior and senior year. And uh, I went to church camp that summer. And I will tell you, I felt very lonely in that. you ever been in a big group of people where you didn't know a lot of people and you suddenly just kind of feel all alone and adrift and you just you're homesick, you don't feel good about yourself? I was at a place in my life I just didn't feel good about who I was as a person. And here I was in this religious environment and not connecting, not feeling anything. Just feeling very alone. Next year is my senior year. I was really bad in school, didn't do well with grades. I I didn't know what I wanted to do with myself, just had a lot of anxiety. And here we were, we were sitting on this hillside, sitting on this hillside, and my minister was preaching, and he was telling this story about a young man who felt all alone in the world and how he had this vision of God, and God said, look around the world. There's a lot of suffering going on in the world, and I'm really concerned about the world. And he says, I have no one to send. No one one will speak for me. Who will speak for me? Who will speak for me? And the young man in the story says, I'll go. I'll speak for you. And at that moment, in that desert, it was a desert place for me. Separated from my family, cut off alone, um, unplugged from everything in my life. I was, for the first time, just really able to hear a very clear voice And I thought to myself, there's a lot of people like me who feel very alone. There are a lot of people who don't feel a strong sense of love. A lot of people who don't feel connected. And in that moment, I just said, God, I'll go. Will will you send me? And I went home and told my mother and my father, and I said, I'm going to be a minister. I'm going to preach the gospel for the rest of my life about the love of God for all people. You know, it's interesting. I hadn't thought about this in a long time. But when I got back, as soon as I got home from church camp, I found out that that very week was the same moment, the same time, the same experience when my grandmother died from an an aneurysm. It was a desert place, but in that place, I heard the Word of God. Uh, the second experience in my life, and, and I've told these stories before, and I'm hoping that maybe you can hear them in a way you haven't heard them before. My second desert experience wasn't a church camp. It was chemotherapy and radiation. After going through a few rounds of chemotherapy, feeling very, very sick, I then I uh, felt, hey, this is all over. I'm, I'm great, you know. Uh, and then I went to radiation. The worst, most physically painful experience I've ever had in my life, having the inside of my throat, mouth burned, not able to eat for three or four weeks. I got severely depressed. And I remember, I remember one day at the end of that being so depressed and thinking to myself, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to preach again because I don't know where God is in all of this. Where are you? And then, I don't know, it wasn't just a moment, it was this growing awareness that said, David, whether you preach or not ever again, whether you're a minister or not ever again, no matter what happens to you ever again, you are my beloved son. I love you. You see, the presence of suffering does not mean the absence of God. It's in the desert places that we find out who we can trust and who we can't trust. It's in the desert that we find out what voices to listen to and the voices to not listen to. Because inside of all our heads, there's these two voices. The one voice that says, You are the beloved. The other voice that says, If you're the beloved. And what your future is will be determined on which voice you listen to. Now, if you look in Scripture and you see this desert thing, it's a big theme. God says to Noah, build a boat. Noah spends 40 days and nights on a boat. What's he doing? He's preparing for a new spark. He's working on Noah. Noah's learning, I can trust you. Then we hear the story of Moses. Moses is on the mountain of God and Moses spends 40 days and nights with God and God gives him the Ten Commandments. Then the Israelites wander for 40 years in the desert. What what is God doing? He's shaping them. He's teaching them. They can trust him. He's feeding them. He's giving them his word. He's forming them to a community. And then they take the promised land. Then we see the story of Elijah. Elijah kills all these prophets on top of Mount Carmel. And they all die. Uh, He kills all these prophets. And the next thing you know, Queen Jezebel... Queen Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. And he runs like a coward into the wilderness where for 40 days and nights he learns he can trust God. And God reaffirms his love for him, not in the earthquake, not in the fire, not in the wind, but in a still small voice that says, Elijah, you're mine. You've always been mine. Trust me. By the way, why do we have Lent 40 days, 40 nights? Lent is a time historically in the church where Christians have been preparing themselves to hear the divine voice proclaiming love over our lives. Lent is the time where we focus and we go to the desert wilderness period for 40 days and 40 nights to spend time in an intentional wilderness to hear that voice again, to be able to listen, to listen, to listen and to hear from God the divine proclamation on our lives. So we look at the story and we wonder, why would Jesus be sent out of the wilderness? The reason he was sent in the wilderness, because it's one thing to hear the divine proclamation at your baptism, but it's another thing to be put in a situation where you you have to learn it for yourselves. So when it comes to deserts, when it comes to deserts, there are some deserts, that are intentional. They are deserts that we intentionally choose, that we set aside as time to learn and to grow and to trust and to hear the divine voice. You are my beloved. And then there are deserts that we do not choose. May I list three Ds? Death, divorce, disease. And any other thing you can imagine that drives you to a place of loneliness. Those moments are the moments in life when you hear the voice say, Well, you know, if you were the Son of God, I mean, if you're God, if God loves you that much, why are you going, th- why do you have cancer? God loves you that much, why are you going through this? If God loves you this much, why did she leave you? You see, the presence, of God is not denied by the presence of suffering. Because when we look at the gospel story, this is what the gospel says: that Jesus Christ walked through the wilderness, and in the wilderness he claimed the divine love. It says in Hebrews 4:15 that we do not have a Savior. Hebrews 4:15. We do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses. He can empathize with us. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. When we look at the man, Jesus, the divine Son of God, hanging on the cross, we know that we have one who understands our human condition and human predicament. The desert can be a scary place. But the desert, this moment, this desert moment in your life, what are you going through? What are you going through? Lean in and listen. The reason I told you those two stories, I told you that story about um, my call to ministry and then uh, the cancer stuff, you know, the reason I told you those two stories is to tell you That when I became, when I heard that voice from God, you know, serve me, it was a it was a moment of it was a high moment for me. But what I know now, it was just the beginning. Because a life of living with God and for God and hearing that voice and claiming that voice, it goes on for your whole life and it's filled with ups and downs and all arounds. It's messy. It's filled with failures and mistakes. The life of following Jesus is a helter-skelter, topsy-turvy, toboggan, upside-down ride down a fast chute that feels like you're going to hell and back and all that, filled with mistakes, sorrows, laughters, joys, all that kind of stuff. It's all of that. I love what Anne Lamott said. She said a couple of things. Anne Lamott, a humor Christian writer said, the journey to enlightenment is a long one, so make sure you pack snacks and bring along magazines. And she also said, she also said, you know, I finally got the monkey off my back, but dang it, the circus just won't leave town. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's still a true statement. It's like, I got the monkey off my back, but then I turned around, that monkey's not ever left. It's off my back, but the- anybody got a monkey chasing you around? Because the circus never left town. So we just keep listening and sorting through all that. What I want you to hear this morning is the defining, the defining word for your life is not the word if. It's not if. The word proclaimed over your life is the word you are the beloved of God. And you didn't, you didn't earn it. It's a free gift. And the basis for all of our life is this what I call the whatever, whatever love. No matter whatever love, no matter whatever love, you didn't earn it. It can't be taken from you. It's just there always for you. You'll return to it, leave it, return to it, leave it. And if you will build your life on it, you will be happier, you'll be healthier. Doesn't will not protect you from sorrow and suffering, but you will be happier and healthier, and life will not make you a victim. And you'll be able to be courageous and live the life that was meant to be. Because you know what, friends? There's the me I pretend to be. There's the me my friends want me to be. There's the me I fail to be. And then there's the me that God created me to be. And we're all on our way to that place to be the me created to be. God is good.